Hey everyone, it's Aaron. My next guest is a guy named Greg Constantine. He's this incredible young man and co-founder of a company called Airco. They are a carbon negative vodka manufacturer and they literally take carbon dioxide out of the air to make vodka. And you'll hear all about that and how he does it and how incredible they are. And you know their job, their mission in the world really is to use technology to change the world for the better and really literally make goods that do good. And speaking of making goods that do good, they also made this incredibly courageous decision about a week and a half after we met to actually change their entire production facility from making vodka to making hand sanitizer. And because sanitizer is about 80% ethanol, which is their technology's main output, their job now and their mission right now is to produce as many bottles of hand sanitizer for free and give them out to communities in need in the New York metropolitan area and around the world. So big shout out, kudos, props. It's because of guys like Greg, his co-founder, and everyone at Airco, which really gives me faith in humanity. And he's just an incredible person. I thought that when we met, and I even think that more so now. And by the way, try the vodka. It's really good. Enjoy the episode. Broadcasting from the 10 Hudson Square building, home of WNYC Radio here in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies and organizations. My guest today is Greg Constantine, and he's in studio, and he's co-founder and CEO of Airco, a technology and lifestyle company that produces sustainable vodka, you heard me right, sustainable vodka, by using carbon dioxide as one of the ingredients rather than having it as an emission. The company has removed over 70 million milliliters of carbon from the atmosphere with a goal to expand into more sectors that could remove more carbon and become carbon negative. Greg has a background a bit in spirits and alcohol, having worked for Smirnoff Global Brand Team. He also is founder of the Constantine Creative, so he's got a creative background. And his work with Erico combines what I would think is sustainability and luxury living. And we're excited to drink in all he has to say today. That's the dad joke for the day. Greg, welcome to Brand on Purpose and welcome in studio. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Lovely introduction as well. Yeah, well, <laughs> woof. So you're a co-founder. You co-founded the company with Dr. Stafford Sheehan, a.k.a. Staffy. Nailed it. Can you explain how the two of you or Dr. Sheehan, along with you and your wisdom and vision and guidance, how you're able to actually capture excess carbon from air and turn that into a vodka made purely out of air and water. Did I get that right? Yeah, you kind of nailed it. Yeah, right. yeah. it sounds complex. It's quite simple. We take carbon dioxide. It's our main input into our product. And we work with a partner you know, in Northeast New York to actually capture that carbon dioxide off of traditional alcohol process. So when you traditionally ferment corn, grain, whatever it might be, there's a lot of emissions that come with that. So we take those emissions And then we input it into our system along with hydrogen that we create on site and the reaction that's caused within our system via our catalyst. The catalyst is something that causes a reaction. The reaction that's caused creates pure alcohol and oxygen actually. So it's essentially doing what a tree does, just faster and more efficient. It's artificial photosynthesis. So, you know, traditionally a tree removes carbon and uses the sun to do so and puts out oxygen. We do the same thing. We're all run on solar power. We're removing carbon, we're putting out oxygen. The byproduct that's created is alcohol. And then we obviously applicate that alcohol to industries. And vodka traditionally utilizes the most ethanol in the production or manufacturing process. That's it. When you traditionally make a vodka, for example, you ferment corn or grain, potato, whatever it might be. And when in that fermentation process, you create 
a number of different types of alcohols. Ethanol is one of them. You might create methanol or butanol. These are types of alcohols that are bad for you. Could kill you, could make you blind, whatever it might be. Unless you want to light something up. Yeah, unless you want to light something up, totally, for sure. We just create ethanol. So by skipping that process, we're extremely pure, right? And then vodka, obviously, the base grade alcohol for vodka that you want to consume is ethanol. And so we don't have any of that other bad stuff in our liquid as well. Are you the first to do this? Like, how did you come up with this concept or this idea? People have been turning carbon dioxide and other forms of gases into various types of alcohols over the course of, since the year I was born, actually, 1989. Thanks for rubbing that in. Yeah. <laughs> I feel old. Don't worry. You look great for your age. Thank you. We're doing it in a way that is just faster, more efficient, infinitely scalable, and we're doing it for an alcohol that's of the highest purity as well. So it's fantastic for consumption. So we're in no man's land in a sense that we're innovating in a way that no one's innovated before because we're hitting on all of those touch points. So it's a unique position to be in. And you chose a category that is incredibly competitive, pretty price sensitive, and very saturated. Totally. Yeah, let's go into a market that is totally oversaturated that no one's innovated in before and let's show them how to do it. Truly, for us, it's a few reasons. It's the fact that we're making a product that's of the highest quality, technically, scientifically proven, the highest quality, phenomenal for consumption. It's where the volumes are the lowest, but the value for the alcohol is the highest. So as an entry point where we're only making small volumes, it's an equation. Where can we go in where we know our volumes are small, we can scale the technology, we can hopefully build a viable business model behind it as well to scale the technology. And on top of that, it's an industry that we know, and you know, like you said earlier, we want to have fun as well, right? So we want to enjoy the work we're doing while building a company that actually can help improve and change people's perceptions as well. And a big perception around a technology like this is that it's not real. It doesn't exist. How can you actually make something out of CO2, out of carbon that's hurting the planet? And it's a great stake in the ground proof point. What made you actually just come up with this idea? So I said in the intro, you've got a background also in music, I should mention. You're an A&R rep for yep. a little while with EMI, am sure. I right? So music, spirits, and you had your own creative consultancy. Why vodka? And was it an aha moment or is it something you've been wanting to do? So I was working at the largest alcohol company in the world at the time when I'd met Stafford, my co-founder, and we met, funnily enough, actually in Israel in a bar. We were sent over there on a Forbes 30 under 30 trip. And when I was there, I was in awe of just how smart he was. I just met this guy who's just incredibly brilliant from a technical sense and was he working at Smirnoff? As he well? wasn't, no. He had started a company out of Yale. He went to Yale and got his PhD. In so kind of smart. Yeah, kind of smart guy. Yeah. <laughs> and we just bonded truly over our differences, right? We were two totally different people. We bonded obviously over a drink as well, maybe a few. And we just started talking about what was kind of exciting us at the time or what wasn't exciting us at the time. And I was really in tune with what, I guess, the problems I was facing in an industry that I was working in as well. And one of them, obviously a slew, but one of them was just things taking a long time, processes taking a long time, things moving really, really slowly and people not innovating. And after meeting staff, who's just the most supreme innovator ever in anything he does, he and I just sat down and said, look, like, is there a way to create something that people might be interested in? And he was working on a bunch of technologies at the time. And he just said to me, look, I think that I can create a product that's removing carbon and the foundation is alcohol is there a way that we can applicate it to an industry and how should we do it essentially? And that's the kind of short version, but then the next couple of years went on from there. So let me just get this right. You're what, on holiday? 
Pretty much. Yeah. Okay. We're on a conference essentially. Oh, so you're both there for a conference. Yeah. They sent 50 people over to Israel to kind of tour the country, learn about the country and mingle with each other as well. Got it. And sector specific in yeah. spirits. All right. So there's some relevance there. No, sector agnostic, actually. Oh. I was coming from marketing background and he was right. from energy background. There were kids on this trip. That so I've were- gotten invites for similar trips and I've never been able to do it, but I've always wanted to. Because just, so I walk into a bar, I'm in Israel, I meet this brilliant scientist. We just start talking, not about pop culture and other random kind of immaterial things, but how can we build a business together and how can I utilize this technology, apply it to a consumer good and also do good for the world? Pretty much. That's crazy. I love it. That's a great story. It's the truth, right? We were surrounded by so many brilliant people at that time from such various backgrounds. We were just talking to everyone about what everyone was working on and what was exciting, what wasn't. And then that was really the birth of it, right? It was like, cool, there's a problem in this industry and there's a problem outside those walls to do with the environment. How do we kind of bring those two skill sets together because they're so polarizingly different, but let's try and marriage them together and actually create awareness around this. And that's been my goal for him is to give him a platform to actually be able to create and innovate and then showcase it because that's his ability to take something from an idea to lab to now we're trying to bring it to like commercial scale so people can actually use it because that's never been done in this industry before. So you guys are perfect partners in that way. Yin and yang. That's what everyone tells us. How hard has it been on the distribution side? It's a tough business, as you know. It's tricky, right? It's tough across any industry in the alcohol businesses in the US. It's very, very tough. I would say that fortunately for us, we have a product that has the triple threat, what we like to say. It looks fantastic. We're biased, obviously, because we created it. The product tastes brilliant and we've won awards and everyone that tries it really understands it. But then at the core of it all, there's a real story behind it and there's a truth to the story behind it. And in an industry that, again, hasn't been innovated in for almost forever. Probably just CBD most recently. You want to call that innovation, but in terms of something big happening, probably that constellation owning acreage or part of acreage, stuff like that. For sure. And then if you're talking about vertical of spirits and then category of vodka, never, right? Some people made some flavors. That's about it. Or you've got celebrities thinking they can make vodka. That's it. Exactly. Marketing. So to actually be able to have something that bartenders, restaurateurs, consumers are actually excited to talk about, because if I'm a bartender and I've been pouring X vodka year on year over and over again, I've never seen anything new and I'm kind of over it. And then I get this new product on the market that really is centered around a core issue around helping, not hurting. It's something that gives me excitement to talk about as well. So we've been fortunate in that position. And that's kind of the long answer of it's taken us some time to educate people, but now the proof is there and it's been really, really positive. Is vodka kind of like furniture and textiles in the market in that there's a couple of very large producers that then it's the same stuff or slight variations and then folks then slap their label on it? Or am I wrong in that? I always kind of felt that way. Like it's more similar than different for the mass market stuff. You're kind of right. It is for the most part. People will put their tweak on a base grade and they'll change the, again, yeah, the label and the rest. So there's definitely a bit of a monopoly around that as well. But that's what is exciting for us to come in and try and change and to try and show other people that you can change. And yeah, we have hurdles ahead of us for sure, but it's exciting to do. And where are you now in terms of kind of business plan and distribution and volume and all that kind of sales? Small volumes right now. We have the ability in our facility and our facilities here in Brooklyn to produce up to about 5,000 cases of vodka a year, which is still big on a micro scale, Yeah, small on a- When did you start? We started the business two years ago. We only launched in November of last year. I was going to say, you're brand new. Very new. I would say we're 
just right at the start, essentially, in that respect. We're actually building a next system that is 10x the output of our first. So a 10x scale up, not in size, but in volume. And so that's true scale and that's real scale. And that's a system that can fit on a truck is completely modular in the sense that you can deploy these anywhere around the country, anywhere around the world. And all you need is a a room the size of this, 100 square feet, 200 square feet, maybe a little bit bigger because it lays down. So that's kind of where we're at. We only sell locally. Obviously, the biggest premise of our business is centered around removing carbon dioxide, and right? And 65% of the emissions that come from a bottle come from transportation. So if we're shipping product all around the country and all around the world, it negates our carbon negativity as well. So we're really, really strict about that. And I guess a drone can't really <laughs> handle a case. Not yet. Not, Not yet. yet. 65%. That's really interesting. I hadn't Huge, thought of that. Massive. So it's hyper-localization. How do we make and sell and distribute in those areas and really take ownership of those areas as well. Without incurring so much cost that then you have to pass it on to the consumer and create a higher price point. Yeah, and the beauty of the technology is our operational costs are going to be significantly lower because of we're able to automate everything because of the technology itself. So we're able to have decentralized locations that are hopefully then run by one centralized computer. Yeah, one of the kind of knocks or unfair truths about a lot of consumer goods whether it's a beverage or a kind of a durable good, is that people feel like they're paying extra to be extra conscious of what's going on in the world. And what you're saying is over time, and I think a lot of folks have been saying this, those prices should come down. It should equalize. They will. There's just a lot of factors that need to go into it. And it starts with us. If we're purchasing these products and then regulation sees that, it's going to lower the cost. Like our biggest cost is solar electricity. And could we save a lot of money by just using regular power yeah but is it you know true to our story and our message and what we're trying to achieve absolutely not so that's why there's a premium on it right now and over time as we use our company to be a beacon for sustainability but also quality other people will realize that you can get a product that is still of the highest quality that's actually better for the planet and then eventually at a exact same price point if not better and we're starting to see that in other products as well absolutely and I've had this, it's not even a theory anymore. I've had so many entrepreneurs on who are purpose-driven, who have very similar stories, who go into these businesses knowing very little to nothing about the actual domain. Now, you have some experience as a marketer, as well as an understanding of the spirits business, but you're not, what would you call, a vodka master. You're no. not an expert in this. So how did you educate yourself? Or was it just throwing yourself in it wholeheartedly? I'm a true trial and error guy and I really live by that. I love to throw myself into the deepest of situations and even the most uncomfortable because it's where I personally learn the most. I could see you spearfishing. I don't know why. <laughs> I could totally see that. It's probably the hair. Yeah, it's there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Very deep and uncomfortable situation. Yeah, 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 right. Exactly. The yeah. sharks, you don't care. Right? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm fine. Aussies are tough like that. We are. We absolutely are. We've got to deal with a lot of conditions out there. <laughs> you do. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, to kind of directly answer the question, it's Look, I was blessed with a beautiful partner that is, again, master innovator and can learn and has a real knack for spirits, obviously. But on top of that, for me, it's just about adaptability, right? And how can I take the skill set that I have and put other people around me in positions to really help deliver on those goals as well? And at the end of the day, it's for me, it's really about why you do the things that you do, not what you're doing. So for us, everything we do is really centered around the why we're doing it. And that shines through in the work and that shines through in the level of people that we're able to work with as well. And then hopefully project that message and that business out to everyone. And how did you raise funds 
we raised a really small angel round of funding in the early onset and that's a tough thing in itself, right? When you're, you're two young, under 30-year-old kind of entrepreneurs going into an industry that's archaic in some respect, but then on the technology side, you know, there's been... And it's very networked. It's like an old boy network kind of industry. Totally is, yeah. So it's a tough thing, right? A lot of no's from a lot of people for the reason of we just don't think you can do it and we don't think you have enough experience to do it. So that is just a testament of, and everyone out there, it's just persistence. You just have to persist. And then we were fortunate enough to have some people that really believed in us and it's just grown and grown from there. And now we're in a really fantastic position where even just this morning, actually, we just got named Fast Companies, top 10 most innovative companies of the year last year alongside some huge, awesome, huge names. So, Congrats. Yeah, it's cool to see it all kind of coming together. Yeah, I mean, you're only two years into it and really only a couple of months into the commercialization of it. Truly. So to get those types of accolades and honors is something you should be very proud of yeah they're good wins when you're a startup you're in the grind all the time and when you get some even small recognition as well it kind of helps steer yourself and everyone on the path of you know you're doing something that's actually getting noticed by people for the better and are there other companies that are similar in terms of larger kind of purpose-driven narratives that you look at and you look towards as role models or templates Absolutely. One really interesting one that I've been a huge fan of that I actually finally got to meet their founder and CEO just last week is Parley for the Oceans. And they basically take ocean plastic that's been littered essentially. Yeah, all these cruise ships and others. totally. And it's just destroying wildlife. It's destroying the actual environment as well. And they take it and they use it and recycle it. And now plastic is obviously not a great thing for the environment, horrible thing for the environment, but they're taking an approach of, look, it's still out there. We need to find a solution to actually use it because people are still going to use it. And now American Express are working with them to have all their cards be made from it. Adidas has pledged it by 2025, I believe. I like the way you say Adidas. Yeah, Adidas. Yeah, I love it. (laughs) They're going to use their plastic. So there's someone that I really look up to because they're owning their environmentalism and it's working for their favor as well, right? People are now becoming increasingly aware. And I think they've done a phenomenal job of partnering with bigger companies to actually tell that story because we can't do it alone. We're a small New York startup and we need to be able to have the support of these other big companies. So they're a phenomenal one that I look towards. Yeah, I think one of the fallacies around being a disruptor or being a smaller company or any sort of nonprofit organization is that you can go it alone. And you immediately try to, or you think that it's easy to demonize the others, but you actually can't possibly get stuff done without the others. I was part of this International Women's Day. I was doing a podcast around a panel around that. And one of the panel presenters over and over again said, you cannot have women empowerment and participation without men. Because unfortunately, men listen to men, but also you need to come together. Otherwise, you're just going to create more divisiveness and more divide. It's the same thing in what you're talking about a really interesting concept that I don't think a lot of people think about when you're trying to start a company that's disruptive. We use the word innovative, not disruptive. Yeah, I'm over the disruptive thing. Yeah, we don't want to, A, disruptive has negative connotations, but also like, again, we need to not disrupt those industries. We need to work with them to actually just be better, period. If only our political system in the US could adopt a more collaborative kind of reach across the aisle style as we once had a couple decades ago could solve a lot of problems together. Yeah, peace. Peace. So what's next? I know there was a little bit of an allusion to, yeah, we're starting with vodka, but we think that there are other kind of adjacencies and or verticals and consumer goods and luxury goods where we can have it all as well. 
protect yep. the planet and also provide a great product. Totally. So core of our business has always just been around innovation and it's always been around inspiring others through good, not bad and helping, not harming. So while we've started with a vodka product, at the end of the day, you're going to see a succession of other really, really high quality products come off the back of our technology and technology of the partners that we're working with as well. And I think even this year, you'll probably see another one or two potentially come out as well. All right. No, I I get it. I can't push you further than that. What's the end game? Awareness. If we can create awareness around our product and the technology and inspire other people to go out and try something and do something, that's the end game. And that's a huge win for us. If Stafford didn't go and experiment and then meet someone who wanted to work on that experiment and then bring it to life, we wouldn't be here today. So if we can truly use our business as a beacon for someone else, another kid, another company to go out and try something new and different and not be afraid to do it, regardless of the hurdles that you're going to tackle to get there, that is a huge win for us. And that's truly what we're looking to do. It's just inspiration to inspire others. Do we want to create products at the back of it that allow us to have a great time and show people what we can do as well? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, we've become so much more aware and in tune of how bad a shape this place is in, how bad a shape the environment is in and what that means for you and me and for our children and potentially our children's children. So for us to be able to go out and use this product as a beacon and hopefully other products is huge for us. I was taking the dogs out this morning. I know you're wondering where I'm going to go with this, or at least my regular listeners, all four of them are probably like, oh no. (laughs) No, but, and it was strangely warm. I live out in the suburbs, about 40 miles north of our office here in Soho. And it's always a sign. You can hear the frogs in the pond chirping that spring's coming. It's very early for spring to come. We've had very little snow and we've got this coronavirus thing happening as we're speaking. And I was like, holy shit, is this it? Is this the dystopian zombie apocalypse? Like, is And then I got thinking, well, there are these moments where we have these new normals, right? So September 11th was a new normal for sure for us. And I'm wondering if this is going to be our new normal. And honestly, I want more and more companies like yours. It's the reason why we do this podcast to be the new normal. Actually, this podcast shouldn't exist at some point because every company will be, right? Yeah, that's a really interesting point that I don't think we'd ever thought about in terms of this idea of the new normal where for us it had always been everything's happening right now like this notion of our house is on fire you literally saw my house was literally on fire I did being Australia so it's a really tough time and obviously from Australian I'm here in New York and I've been here for six seven years and it's never been like this in March ever so there's a lot happening and there's definitely a lot going on in the world and we're concerned for it but at the end of the day it may just be the new normal why did you come to New York? I mean, we love having you. I know you're from Sydney or Sydney. Did I say that right? Sydney. Sydney. Yeah, look, I was in the music industry, as you mentioned, right? I was heavy in the music industry for a long time in Australia. and I moved to LA originally to really grow that kind of agency side and work with a number of different artists. And I started working with brands over in LA. And when I was working with some of these really big brands, I got the opportunity to also meet some of the folks that were over at this really big alcohol company and then an opportunity to come over here and take a role there and work in that environment. And I really wanted to do it because coming back to being uncomfortable, I'd never been in a hugely corporate environment like that. And it was an industry I knew nothing about. So I knew at that point in time, being a 24-year-old kid, that I was going to learn a tremendous amount, even if I was really out of my own element as well. And 
that's what brought me to New York. I'd always wanted to be here as a kid. You know, I was an avid musician growing up and I really wanted to go to music school here, whether it was you, uh, Tish sing, or play, everything. Played a lot of instruments, saxophone, guitar, drums, piano. Wow. Yeah. A few. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I struggled with one violin. A great one nonetheless. Yeah. I was kind of forced into it. And back in the seventies and eighties, when you played violin and you carried it to school, you just got the <laughs> shit kicked out of you. <laughs> and I was asthmatic. So it was like, oh my God. That was a recipe for disaster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Bubble boy. Right? Yeah. Playing the violin. Yeah. But that's amazing. You play that many instruments. Yeah. I don't have the time to do it now, which is the unfortunate bit, but I still love to go out and enjoy and watch other amazing people play. And I'm still very in tune with, it's just, you're in awe of, you forget the craft that people still have and the time that people take in a craft like that because it is tough to be able to learn an instrument of the highest level. And I went to the ballet a few weeks ago and just seeing one of their violinists actually, I was watching Swan Lake and it was incredible just to see the artistry of these kind of instrumentalists. It was amazing. Total segue, but... No, it's okay. It takes you to a different place, right? In an incredibly different place and you forget everything that's going on around you and you just get to enjoy the music at the end of the day because it's a true, beautiful art form as well. The music industry is an interesting one in some ways because it's probably one of the most woke industries just by its very nature. At the same time, I do feel like it can sometimes fall a little short of meeting greater societal obligations. And I just wonder if there's more room even for innovation and more give back even in the music industry besides doing charity concerts and things like that, which is kind of obligatory. Yeah, I think the really interesting thing that should be tapped into more when it comes to music is the notion of inclusivity because when music has the power, not when, music does have the power to bring people together more so than anything. And I think- The common language, if you think about it. Totally, for sure. It is. And the idea of the ability to bring people together from no matter what walk of life or where they are is something that music has the ability to do. And there's obviously the insane amount of stats of the amount of people that listen to music on a daily basis. It needs to be utilized more. And I think there's a way to do it. It just, it's got to be done right because the power of music is huge. It's a language. It could be your next company. It could be. It could be. And do you feel like sustainability will be your North Star for Airco for the foreseeable future? Or because you mentioned diversity and inclusion. I mean, there's so many other. Oh, the other thing about sustainability that I don't think has been given enough attention to is environmental justice and the link between sustainability and impoverishment and adjacent fatalities because it's all connected. And people don't actually connect those things. I think more now than ever, but will it always be sustainability or are you also looking at other issues? We're looking at a number of different issues within Airco as well, because while the core of our business is obviously centered around sustainability, because that is the core of our technology, we want to be able to grow our community, to be able to just educate people about a lot of the issues that are going on. Obviously, inclusivity is a huge one for me. And environmentalism is a huge one for our entire team, especially Stafford as well. So we're always thinking about ways to merge those together. It's just merging them in a way that makes sense to people because, again, at this point, we don't want to come across as preachy. That's not how people respond well to things yet. Preachy or judgy or trying to shame others. It's the exact opposite of what you're trying to accomplish. We're trying to inform and we're trying to inform in the right way. So it just takes time and you have to have the right, message to be able to back up with things around that as well so we'll see we'll see where we get to and you're officially carbon negative at this point right absolutely and our entire goal for these products is to truly be carbon negative and it's tough it's really tough and it's costly as well it's really costly to be 
sustainable across the board and there's reasons why things aren't carbon negative as well and to try and break those molds it's a really tough challenge and that we're facing every day but the brilliance of our team is that everyone works towards that total goal and they even put us as leaders in check of we can't do this even though it makes more sense we can't do it because it's not the right way to go about staying true to our entire message of helping not harming as well. So it's an interesting time. Yeah. I mean, years and years ago, we launched, this is like 2007, we launched the first carbon neutral airline. It's a company called Silverjet, no longer in business. They went out of business, all British business class airline between New York and London. And the way they did the offsets. And back then that was very radical. Unfortunately, their entire business model is based on the price of oil, which is not a great business model to have. So it didn't go so well for them longer term, but it was quite radical at the time. And the way they did it, of course, is basically by buying carbon offsets, which really kind of goes into things like planting more trees and stuff. I'm not against that stuff, but I am so much more interested in the way you're doing it because it's baked into the business and you're actually changing the processes for the better and you're capturing carbon that would have been used, not only it would have been put in the atmosphere in a bad way, but you're recapturing it and you're using it to make a product that people want and a good product. That to me is amazing. That's really what it's about. It's much trickier to do. Definitely a longer and harder road. Sure, we can go out and buy carbon credits and we can be an airline and say that we're carbon neutral, even though our entire business is centered around putting emissions into the planet. So while we still think it's great for them to do so because they're doing better than what they would be doing by not doing that. And we all need to travel. <laughs> maybe not so much anymore, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe not so much anymore. Right. But the core of our business is really taking that utilization of carbon versus just creating a story around how we're helping something that we're already doing that may not be so great. For the I love it, man. You're an inspiration to me and hopefully to everyone else that listens. Thank and you, I appreciate you coming in today. Thank you for having me. Hopefully we'll have you back for your next product. Let's do it. And I'm going to treat myself to see vodka after this. Fantastic. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com, follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast, and learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Yeah.